title of the message is Tested Faith. How do we know if our faith is genuine? How do we know if we are true believers in Jesus Christ? How do we know if we have saving faith? There is the debate whether or not people can lose their salvation and whether they can lose their faith and walk away from God. All of us who know the Bible know that that is impossible. If we have genuine faith, we've been caused to be born again. We have new hearts, new desires, and our life is not our own. We are saved and we have faith in Christ alone. And we can't lose that faith. However, if a person walks away from God and walks away from a church and hears these truths, we ask the question, did they lose their salvation? And the answer would be no. They didn't lose their salvation. They just didn't really have saving faith. They might have experienced a little bit of the joy and the things that were happening in that church, hearing about Christ, hearing that hope, but not necessarily embracing that hope, having truth, but not having truth in their hearts, having it in their minds. But saving faith can never be lost. It's a guarantee. Why? Well, verse 5 tells us why. In verse 5 it says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is, that we're protected by God. He's the one that keeps our faith. We hold on. Yes, we persevere, but we persevere because he is preserving us. He gives us saving faith. And God's saving grace has a tremendous effect on us, doesn't it? In how we think, and how we live, and how we act. When we are born again, we have this new hope, a confident expectation of our future. We look at the future with uh, rose-colored glasses on that are really rose-colored. <laughs> in other words, we see things are going to be good. We have hope, don't we, beloved? We know that heaven is coming. We are confident. And we know we have an inheritance that's secure. It's reserved. God doesn't take back promises. He keeps his promises. We have a new love. And our life is now focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our soul's greatest joy, isn't he? He's what we're about. We are satisfied with Christ, aren't we believers? He's enough, isn't he? So as difficulties come into our life, we look to him. We depend upon him. We delight in him. We serve him faithfully, though the storms, through the storms that come into our life. Our faith is tested, yes. We are not perfect. Everybody in here would say, but we persevere. I was even talking in Sunday school with some of the young kids today. I was talking to them about what faith looks like and talking to them about the, the realities that it could cost us to follow Jesus. And it does cost us to follow Jesus. We have family members that don't always agree with us. And again, it's not because we're trying to win an argument. It's because we know Jesus. He loves us. And so we want to serve him. Saving faith in Christ reveals the saving grace of God in our life at work, too. Our faith shows, doesn't it? When we hold on to him, when trials come, we show that God did something in us. And it's tested. Today, we're going to look at four features of our saving faith in Christ. Again, let's just read that passage in 1, 6 to 9, just to get the idea, the context. This is what we're focusing in on is these four verses here in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ and though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now but believe in him 
you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. What does saving faith look like? It looks like that. <laughs> it looks like six through nine. That's what saving faith looks like. Let's walk down through this and see a f four features of saving faith that should encourage all of us to continue to rely upon Christ always. First, I want you to notice, saving faith rejoices in God's saving grace through various trials. That's found in verse 6. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Believers in Christ find joy in God's saving grace through all circumstances. No matter what we're going through, we look to the salvation that's revealed in verses 3 through 5. We hold on to those truths. That's what our lives are about. Notice it says, in this we greatly rejoice. We are extremely joyful in verses 3 through 5. The truth that is found there, we have great joy. Now I want to biblically, uh, define biblical joy for you for a minute. I want to take a minute and talk about this before we unfold this verse a little bit more. Let's talk about joy because people are like, you're talking about suffering and it's depressing. Well, if that's happening, I've blown my job. Because actually, suffering should call us to look to what really matters. It should show us where and point us to where real joy is found. That's the whole point behind all this. That's what he's talking about in 1 Peter as, near, as he talks about suffering Christians under the hand of Nero. First, let's talk about this biblical joy. It's not the same as worldly happiness. That's very important to understand. It's not the same. Worldly happiness is often temporary. Worldly happiness is a temporary emotional expression often. That's what worldly happiness is. I can, we can laugh, but that's often a temporary emotional response to a circumstance. That's not biblical joy. There's a difference. Worldly happiness is often totally dependent upon circumstances. You can only be happy if your circumstances are good. Worldly happy. But biblical joy, you can be happy or joyful all the time, even in bad circumstances. That's important to understand. Worldly happiness is often associated with an emotional response. And it can be for both sinful things and righteous things, good things. You know, I was happy when uh, it, it makes me happy see, at the campground, seeing a couple of the guys singing and laughing. It made me happy. But that wasn't necessarily biblical joy. There was also biblical joy going on, but biblical joy has, it's different than worldly happiness. Worldly happiness can be over sinful things or righteous things. But biblical joy is different. Get this. Biblical joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God working out in you if you're a believer. Biblical joy is only possible in Christ. Biblical joy is an attitude within the heart of the believer. Biblical joy is associated with being satisfied or content. Biblical joy is being satisfied with the person and work of Christ. Biblical joy is established on the objective truth of God in Christ. Listen, biblical joy is based on fact, truth, whereas worldly happiness is fleeting. And often based on emotions and based on the next news report or the next meme that we see. That's worldly happiness. Beloved, those go and come all the time, don't they? But those are fleeting. Biblical joy, though, lasts. And it's because it's based on truth. It's based on who God is. So here's my definition of biblical joy. Biblical joy 
is a God-produced inward attitude of satisfaction and contentment in the objective truth of God in Christ. This is biblical joy. An inward attitude. It's about your heart. It's what's going on in here. And it's satisfied. It's content. That's why no matter what the storms come against us, all the things that come against us, we still have this joy. It still goes. No matter, even in funerals, we still have biblical joy. Why? Because we're satisfied. We're content. What are we content with? What are we satisfied with? It's not our circumstances. It's in the objective truth of God and who Christ is and what God has done for us. We need to be more heavenly minded. We need to be more truth focused. We need this to be the thing that we're satisfied with. Because as we understand the scriptures, as we understand Christ in the scriptures, we're satisfied, we're content in objective facts too, right? I don't know about you, but I, one thing I have noticed in this whole election mess and all the things that are going on, I've realized I really don't know anything. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm... If you read all sides of the story and all these things, okay, all sides, if you read from the farthest left person to the farthest, uh, doing it right, right, left, left, right, whatever. If you read all of these articles and all these news parts, I mean, if you spent 24 hours a day, you can't, but if you did, reading all sides of all stories and all of it, you know what you would find out? You have no clue. What really is true? We can't tell. We really can't. There's so much and so many things bombarding us. And they're all coming from presuppositions of these people shooting at us that we have no objectivity. We really can't get it, can we? And some of y'all are in here, oh, I can, I can see the truth. I know it. I can interpret it. I get it perfect. Oh, really? You're the only one in on the planet then. You say, but I've got a biblical worldview and I can interpret everything that everybody says. You are wrong. You are wrong. Beloved, listen to me. There's only one truth that I can be completely objectively factual and know that it is fact. And it's here. I know this isn't changing. I know it's true. I know it's true. And the original authorial intent of this tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my hope is in him. That's where biblical joy is found. That's why you've got to read your Bible. That's why you've got to spend time with him. That's the only place you're going to get perfect, objective truth. So back in 1 Peter one six to nine. This inward attitude of satisfaction and contentment is in God's saving grace. That's found in verses three through five. It's that joy that we are set apart by God and that we have a hope. Back to point one. Notice, saving faith rejoices in God's saving grace through various trials. Notice it says there. And this, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, I know when you see if necessary there, you might think, well, if necessary means it might not be necessary. Right? Well, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that any trial that you have is necessary. These are the things that we have. If now for a little while, if necessary, and by the way, it's necessary. That's the implied imp implication by this. You have been distressed by various trials. If you have trials and you're going through suffering and you're going through difficulty, guess what? It's necessary. God doesn't make mistakes. He's working. 
is doing these things. But we greatly rejoice in the objective facts of who God is, and we endure these trials no matter what happens. Why? Because it's necessary, and God's brought them into our life. The joy remains through temporary trials of our time here on earth. Right? It says what? For a little while. What's a little while? A little while. For me and you, it's five minutes, right? Fifteen, maybe a day. I could handle it for a day. How about 20 years? How about Johnny Erickson taught a quadriplegic her whole entire life? I wonder how many times she was like, a little while, a little while. Beloved, that's a little while still. Why is that still a little while? Because we're going to be with God for eternity. Eternity. And our inheritance that was talked about that's undefiled and will not fade away is how long? Forever. <laughs> Forever compared to a little while is your life. Now, granted, not all of us suffer with the hardest and the same trials and difficulties. Some of that might just be because of God's grace and mercy, and he knows just our, how weak we are. But, beloved, it is a little while. And this joy remains through it. This joy remains though God has ordained these necessary trials. It remains even though God has ordained trials for our life. And this joy remains despite the sorrow-producing trials we encounter. Notice it says, have been distressed. Now, I don't know about you, but it, when I think on distress, what do you think of when you think of distress? Pain, angst, sorrow, right? Distress. You're distressed by these various trials. Again, happiness and sorrow, worldly happiness and sorrow cannot coexist. Did you hear me? Happiness and sorrow cannot coexist. They don't get along. Sorrow and happiness don't get along. Do you understand me? Happiness and sorrow don't fit together. You get this. Everybody understand? Show me some heads. Yes, you get it? Happiness and sorrow don't get along. But biblical joy does. Biblical joy and Distress work together perfectly, like a hand and a glove. Perfect. Why? Because joy is God-given. Crucial. Joy is God-given, God-produced inward attitude. Listen, you can have joy in a distressing trial because God gives you joy in that distressing trial. You can have both. Fruit of the Spirit. You have the Spirit living within you. He can produce joy within you. And therefore, no matter what your circumstances are, even if it's distressing to the body and to the mind, you still have the Spirit producing joy in you. This is saving faith, and this is what a saved person looks like. And because joy is satisfied with things outside our circumstances. Biblical joy, again, is satisfied with Christ. So the world falls around all around you. It's crashing. You're satisfied with Christ. And you survive. And you press on. And you hold on. Because he's satisfying while the world is a chaos. And because joy is fully aware that God is in control of everything, and it rests in God's sovereign protection in salvation. So important. If necessary is a crucial point, it's God's sovereignty. You are where you are because God sovereignly has you there. And you know that everything that's going on in your life is what? Part of his plan. Everything. And so you can have joy in that because you know, wait, you're in control of this. 
okay, I'm satisfied with you. I've asked the question, and I've said this so many times, or had this, how do I deal with this when I have people in my life that hate me? How do I deal with this? I mean, it's distressing. They hate me. They're being rude to me. They're being unkind. How do I deal with this? Answer, biblical joy. Trusting in Christ. Enjoying Christ. He's good. He's all satisfying. That's what it's all about, right? Beloved, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record. <laughs> I know I say some of these things over and over and over and over again. But do you understand that the scriptures keep saying it over and over and over again? Everywhere you go, it's look to God and trust him. He's enough. That's the message over and over Christ is sufficient. Christ is satisfying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say. So we see the first feature of saving faith. Those who really know God and love him rejoice in God's saving grace through various trials. Notice also, saving faith is confirmed through the refining process. That sounds painful, doesn't it? Look at verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are a part of God's providential plan to verify his saving work in his children. God likes to show who his children are. To the world. I don't know about you, but I love it when I see somebody that's going through a difficulty exalt Jesus Christ, don't you? What does that do about what does that say to us? That's a legit person. That person's faith is real. Right? So a lot of us are like, oh, I don't want any trials. I don't want any trials. I don't want any of that distress. Please keep it away from me. Right? We're thinking that. But we must ask the question, what is our life really all about? Aren't we all about wanting to glorify God? How many want to glorify God? You just ask for suffering. You just ask for it. Do you understand? It's the place that shows what you're really all about. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. Look, at the end of the day, what's going to happen? Your faith is being tested. You're going to be shown to see whether you really believe in God. Do you want to know? Well, God wants to show you off. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to throw you under a bus. He's trying to show himself off through you. Look at Genesis 22. This is, this is from our devotions this week. It's amazing. Genesis 22. We're not going to do the whole thing, but we'll read a couple verses here. Genesis 22. Look at this. 22.1. This is amazing. Y'all know what happened in 15, right? 15, he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, Abraham. And then God tells him, you're going to have a son. And he does things wrong and has a son that he wasn't supposed to have a son. And then after that, God does give him a son through Sarah, right? And he has this son, Isaac. And so what happens? Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mount, on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So, look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took 
two of his young men with him and his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Beloved, what's that? That's called a test. What does it show about Abraham's faith? It's legit. What did he do? When asked by God to do something very, very difficult, he got up and he did what God said to do. He headed that direction. Knowing God is in control, God will do what God does, I'm just going to do what he tells me to do. Right? Then look down at verse 12. At the end, he's about to kill his son, and God stops him. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know what fear God is? That's a synonym for faith in God. It is. He feared God. He trusted God. He was committed to God more than all else. And this test showed what? Abraham had saving faith. Trials are for the demonstration of the glory of God in our life. <laughs> we have to be careful of running from them. We must realize that God is working to show himself off. Turn back over to 1 Peter. So that the proof of your faith, boy, isn't that Abraham? Being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word picture here, obviously, is, the, is a perfect illustration. The refining process of gold. And as it's heated, the impurities are burned off and pure gold is shown and revealed. Friends, I want you to understand, I think he uses this imagery of the burning and the, uh, the testing of fire with gold to show that it's not easy to live here. <laughs> and these things that we're going through on this planet, it's just not easy, right? We know this. Trials are distressing. Trials are different for each person. And this is why we have to be very careful, very, very careful. I know a lot of you, I, I admit to you, there are things that you're going through, struggles and trials that you're going through, that there are times that I look and I say, why are they struggling with that? I, 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 do you hear me? Listen, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just in my, wait, I can't put myself completely in your shoes, so I can't really understand those trials. I can't really get what you're thinking. You were raised in a certain circumstance, in a certain life, and you have things that you're struggling with that I don't necessarily have. But we all have trials, and they're all being used by God for the same purpose. To show off His glory and to help your faith to be shown to be true. For example, you know, I admit to you, and I'm just, I'll lay it out there. I'm a Caucasian. I'm bringing it in here. I'm a Caucasian. I don't understand what it means to be a Haitian American. I don't understand all of the details of that. I don't understand what it means to be Hispanic. I don't. I don't get everything. I'm, I'm being honest. But, but, the trials you're going through and the trials I'm going through are still the various trials God's trying to show off his glory. That's why we can all come together. And it doesn't matter. We can all have various trials and we can still be unified because why? We have the same faith. We have the same Lord. And though our various trials are different, we what? All are believing in the same one. I don't have heart issues. Noel has heart issues. How do I, how do I relate with that completely? I don't. I can't. Completely, I can't get it. But I know that her Lord is my Lord. <laughs> and her faith is my faith. We believe in the same God. 
And so as she goes through her trials, I can know that she has the same hope and I can point her to the same truth. The same truth, the objective truth of who? Jesus Christ. I don't trust in doctors. I don't trust in politicians. I don't trust in our country getting better. I don't trust in, no offense, I don't even trust police. I don't trust anybody. Ultimately, I trust who? Jesus Christ. That is consistent for all of us. I just got all of us in the room. And that's what this passage is talking about. Paul was a Jew. He's talking to Gentiles, or Peter rather, was a Jew. Talking to Gentiles most likely, most of them. And Paul did the same thing when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, when in Colossians, right? So what's the point? The point is, is that Christ is all satisfying at all times for all of his people. Amen? This is the refining process. It's getting us to be satisfied with Christ in all circumstances. Rejoicing in the Lord always. And as we are refined by these trials or through these trials... Our faith in him is proven to be legit. And in the end, there's a great reward. Notice it says, Therefore our proven faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now at this point, you might be asking, you might be thinking, I thought it, which is this talking about? Praise, glory, and honor of God? Or praise, glory, and honor of us? And some of you in the room are saying, I would never sing praise, glory, honor of us. But, 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 but hear me out. Context, context. The idea appears to be the blessing, the reward for us at this point. Now, both are true. Don't get me wrong. I want you to understand who gets all praise, glory, and honor in heaven. God does, right? But ultimately, he's going to share with us in his praise, glory, and honor. We're going to enjoy that. I needed some verses. I wanted you to see this. This is seen in the Bible. Very clear. Look, John 17, or well, first before that one. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, and in one of his parables, the parable of the talents, what did he say? He said that one, the, the, the one giving out the rewards at the end, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What is that? That's praise. That's praise. I don't know. How many of you want to hear from our Father, well done, good and faithful servant? Want to hear that, right? Saving faith will hear that. Why? Because we're going to hold on. We're going to continue to look to him. And he's going to honor us. We're, listen, we're not going to have a bunch of people up there in heaven that are going to be like, oh, those are the dogs. Not gonna, I'm not going to say, hey, I love you. You're my child. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be a class system up in heaven. We're all his children. <laughs> and he says, come here, I love you. I rejoice over you. I, 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 I'm thankful for you. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. That's what fathers do, don't they? How many fathers in the room, your kid does something good and you say, uh, I expected you to do that. You should have done that. Keep doing it. If you don't do it, I'm going to spank you. If you're like that and you're parenting like that, there's trouble. Beloved, that's trouble. If your kids do something good, give them a hug. It's okay to praise your children. <gasps> I don't want them to think too much of themselves. Oh, my. Who are you? God's, you're going to get to heaven. There's going to have to be a special room for you. God can't look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. No, I'm going to just let you hang out there and maybe think, don't want you to think too high of yourself. See, do you see that's an overreaction? I think God will praise those that through trials hold on to him. He'll say, well done. Good job. Now, is it because we could do it by ourselves? No, no, we couldn't do it. Where does this joy come from? God. Where does our faith come from? God. But it is our faith. Human re responsibility does play into this. 
Also, look at John 17. Look. The glory which you have given me, Jesus says, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. What's he going to do? He's going to share his glory with us. He's given it to the disciples? Wow. That's why we have an inheritance. We're co-heirs with him. Is there joy in this? Yes. Can we endure through these trials? Yes. Because we have these things to look forward to. Look at this one, 2 Timothy 2.20. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Yeah, we're vessels of honor. <laughs> wow, that's a cool thought, isn't it? Now, I know, I know at this point, we could take this and turn this all upside down on its head and make it, see, God's all about praising us, giving us glory, and giving us honor. If you did that, you'd miss the whole point. Because after all, what does this come at the end of what? A life. When Christ is revealed. And ultimately, when does it come? After we've endured the hardships of today. As we hold on and as we look to him, as we trust in him, as we rejoice in Christ always, then at the end, God shares his glory, praise, and honor with us, his children. That's good news. I believe both are going to come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who God has saved and continue to believe in Christ till the end will be given praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Christ. However, ultimate praise still goes to God because he gave it, right? So first we saw saving faith rejoices in God's saving grace through various trials. Second, saving faith is confirmed through the refining process. Third, we see saving faith expresses itself in real sacrificial love and inexpressible joy in the unseen Christ. I know these are long points, but that's why we have a... PowerPoint. It's easy for you to write down. Look at verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, truth time. How many of you were thinking on this verse this week as the whole world seemed to be turned upside down. Were we thinking this? And even though we have not seen him, we love him. And though we do not see him now, but believe in him, we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. This verse could be labeled this, the heart of a believer is revealed. The heart of a believer or of the believer is revealed. What's going on in the heart of a believer when trials come? Here you go. This is it. Okay. I've often talked about how what goes on inside your heart determines really who you are. Right? When the fire comes, when the trials come, when the difficulties come, your heart will be exposed. It will be shown. This is it. This is what the heart of a believer looks like when trials come. What does it look like? It looks like even though we don't see him, we love him. Now, what's this? This loving, by the way, oh, this is so important. We don't see Jesus presently. We experience various trials. We live in the midst of a vast, wicked world. Everything seems to be falling down around us, but we are loving him. And that is not just a, we have this emotional good feeling towards God. I have affections towards God. That's not it. Again, love that is in, not in action is not biblical love. Hear me. Mark this. 
Understand this. Love that is not preceded by action and includes action is not true biblical love. Oh, how often I hear this. Oh, how often we see this on the news, don't we? I love God. People say it all the time, don't they? I love God. And then when something bad happens to them, they don't look like they love God at all. Zanger, wrath, bitterness, gossip. Beloved, true faith is expressed by loving God, loving Him. This love for Him is not just a good feeling. It is a true commitment to God. We love Him. How do we love him? What does it look like? We serve him. Oh, get this. Listen closely. Saving faith really loves God. It, it serves God. It obeys God. It exalts Christ. It makes disciples of other people. This is real biblical love, folks. We have towards God because... We have this saving faith. What does saving faith do? It obeys, but it also what? Loves. Loves. The world can have affectionate feelings towards people. They can desire to be with each other. They can have warm feelings for each other. But they can't love God in a biblical way. Why can't the, wor why can't the world love like this? Because biblical love comes from hearts that have been born again and have saving faith. Only that way can you love. You've got to have a born-again heart for that to happen. And unbelievers don't have born-again hearts, right? So they cannot love God. They will not serve Him. However, believers do reveal this love towards God. We can because we have been born again. We have the Spirit living in us. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy. God does it. Faith in Christ loves. Period. End of story. And not only do we love, but we also, though we don't see Him, we believe in Him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. Oh, this is so, this is so good. This is what it's all about. What's, why can Paul say, rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. Because there's joy in the Lord. <laughs> because it's an objective fact. And we can rejoice with inexpressible joy. I am rejoicing in Christ even right now. I am so satisfied with him. If I were to die right now, I'd be completely okay. That's fine. I don't need anything else. How about you? Do you need anything else other than him? Nothing else, do we? He's all satisfying, isn't he? That's this joy. It's inexpressible. It's so good that you can take my house, you can take my family, you can take everything. I'm still okay. It is what Horatio Bonard said, it is well with my soul. As he passed over the spot that his children had died in a shipwreck. That's the joy. This is what I want, don't you? I want this all the time. Paul calls the believers in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. And he said it again, I say, rejoice. Why? Because they can and should. They should. We should. We should be satisfied with him. I don't, guys, I know if y'all are anything like me, I've seen fear and anger and frustration and sadness this week. Have you not seen it? 
everywhere you look in the world, everybody's sad or afraid or angry. There are some people happy. There are some happy people. But it'll all be fleeting because it's going to go away. The fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of hurting people and a lot of happy people, but very few of them have this kind of inexpressible joy. Very few. See, biblical joy is not ultimately about getting loud and cheering, laughing. Yes, you can laugh. One person once asked me, uh, did Jesus ever laugh? Well, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but we know that word sorrow, distress, doesn't mean that he couldn't have biblical joy. I will tell you that you can have biblical joy and it can bring a smile to your face, right? But I don't think he necessarily was driven by his emotions. Do you understand what I mean by that? His emotions were based on objective truth. And they came only from that. I believe he smiled. I believe he was human. He probably giggled at children. I can't imagine him not. But ultimately, he had biblical joy all the time, all the time. He was completely satisfied with the Father, all the time. I want to be there, don't you? Do you understand that that's only often demonstrated when you go through difficulty? Oh, folks, we've got we've to have a different mindset. We have to have a heavenly mindset, an end times mindset. A mindset that rejoices in the Lord no matter what's going on in our life. Beloved, love and joy reveal where our hearts are. What, what do you love? Or who do you love? And what do you rejoice in? I don't, I don't know about you. I don't care who won. I wasn't going to rejoice in that. I'm being honest. I wouldn't have rejoiced in any of it. Ultimately, my joy is found in Jesus Christ. That's it. Him. He's my hope. I'm satisfied with Him. I need that more, too, don't you? I think I put... Anybody else in here put hope in things of the world? still stop it doesn't say you have a living hope and it's including having a good president or having a peaceful country that's not our living hope is it I'm with MacArthur on this one saying for sure we are rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic and I don't care who's the president it's going down. <laughs> Beloved, that does not mean I'm not going to honor my king because what's it say? First Peter. He's talking to Nero, people that were under Nero's power. We will honor our president, won't we? Whether it's President Obama or President Trump, we're going to honor him because God has ordained him. Right? And we would have done the same thing if Miss Clinton would have won. Correct? But our hope is not in this world. And our joy is not there either, right? We don't rejoice in presidents. We rejoice in the Lord. And we do it always. Are you sacrificially serving God? Are you laying your life down for Him? Are you serving Him? Are you rejoicing in Christ always? Are you satisfied with Him no matter what the uh, things that go on around you in your circumstances? That's what saving faith looks like. It's satisfied with Christ no matter what. Question, is He enough for you? Is He enough for you? If you're a believer, He is. If you're not, you need him.
So we come to the last feature real quick. Saving faith perseveres to the end and receives the outcome, this outcome. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Just to be clear, this does not mean we only get saved if we earn it. It means saving faith perseveres by God's amazing grace. We keep it. We keep believing. A true believer continues on and we get the outcome of our faith. Why? Because God is protecting us till the end. And this perseverance works in us. We're not saved by what we do. We trust in God alone. And God gives us the faith in order for us to make it to the end. And who, everyone in here obtains that outcome of our faith if we continue to the end, holding on to him. Again, that does not mean you can lose your salvation. It means what? If your heart is changed, you will believe till the end. You're not going to reject Christ. You're going to be satisfied with him. Are you satisfied with Christ? That's the question. And if you are, you will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls at the end. So, beloved, we close with this. Where our joy is determines what our heart's about. What our heart's about determines our eternity. Correct? Are you trusting in Christ? Is he enough for you? Do you want this world to be the place that everything's fixed? Or do you want Christ and he's enough? So in this room now, there's probably some that say, I want Christ, but I'm not sure really if he's enough. Anybody in here like that? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to. I'm not sure if he's enough. I'm not sure if he's enough. Beloved, if you're not sure if he's enough, you still haven't come to the realization of just how good he is. If you know how sinful you are, and you know how good he is, that he would send his son to die for you, and rise from the dead to give you a, a new hope, then he's enough no matter what happens in your life. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me who would pick up your cross and follow him who would pick up something that's going to cause their death answer only those that know he's worthy of following do you know that he's worthy do you understand that he's all satisfying is your hope in heaven not here on this earth if so let's follow him together go serve our king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ. Help us now, Lord, as we go about our fellowship time that we would worship and honor you in our time of conversation, in our time of living amongst the brethren here. Help us, Lord, to enjoy you and serve you with all of our hearts and all of our minds. Thank you, Father, for Christ. We pray this in his name.